Bible reading this morning will be taken from Acts 2, verses 40 through 47. In your pew Bible will be page number 967, if you'd like to take just a moment to turn there. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who who were being saved. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, uh, we welcome you again. And if you're one of the new families that are with us, we are glad that you're here. We look forward to worshiping and serving God together. God has blessed us richly with many opportunities to do much and many people to do it with. And so let's work together and give the glory to God. Let me tell you where we'll go for the next few minutes. Kind of an unusual approach. We need to cover some things about homecoming because several people have asked various things and it's obvious when that many questions are coming around, we haven't made ourselves clear. So we'll take four or five minutes and try to make ourselves clear about homecoming. And then we're going to spend about 10 to 12 minutes talking about out of the scriptures, out of Haggai, a responsibility that we have uh, to give God our best and to make uh, God's house a top priority. And then we'll look at the last part of uh, the time, looking at our lesson, what is the church? Let's think about homecoming for just a few minutes. September 24th, it's only two weeks away, so urge you to be making your plans and be looking forward to the day. During the morning services, they will meet as usual. There will be an 8 o'clock and a 10-15 worship, uh, just as usual. There will be a Bible class as usual at 9-15. The Bible class, all of the adults will meet in the auditorium together. And then after services, uh, there will be a lunch on your own. If you are willing to host someone that is visiting with us from the past as they RSVP, we're going to connect them with the family. If you're willing to do that, put that on the back of your attendance card this morning. Now, before you do that, let me mention to you that um, if you're taking them to your house, that's great. If you're thinking about taking them out to eat, that's great too, but we ask you to be ready to pay for their meal. So you might want to think about that before you RSVP. We've already had several that are said that you would take care of those that RSVP. We've already had several to say that they want to do that. Uh, What we need to know is, do you want to host two, four, six, eight people? We've already had someone says they want to host 30 people. We need to know from you how many you want to host uh, for that occasion. Now, 
When you go out for lunch and uh, or you go to your home, wherever it is, you won't have a lot of time to just hang around and visit. We need to be back up here at around 1.30 and hopefully at 1.45 we'll begin an informal slideshow here of reminiscing some things about the past. And then at 2 o'clock we will begin a formal program which will look at our past, our present, and our future. Most of that time, since we're celebrating a 115-year anniversary of uh, the congregation of the Lord's Church here at Mount Juliet on this same location. We'll spend probably three-fourths of that time, or at least two-thirds of that time, looking in the past, and then we'll look for a few minutes at the present, and then a few minutes to the future. At three o'clock, we'll take a short break, and then at 3.15, we'll come back together for what we're calling, quote, our evening worship. Be very similar in your mind, if you will, thinking about our fifth Sunday singing nights. Uh, it will be primarily a singing service. We're calling it an old-fashioned singing because it'll be the style that many of us grew up attending where uh, the various men in the audience that want to lead a song will come up and lead a song. We hope that we'll have enough that want to do that, that we'll have to say, hey, when it's your turn, be sitting up front and lead two verses. And we hope to just sing song after song after song for around 45 or 50 minutes. We will have an invitation. We'll have the opportunity to partake of the Lord's Supper just as we do on the fifth Sunday singing nights. And then after that, we'll have our fellowship uh, that will be a homemade dessert fellowship. As you've already heard in the announcements, be sure and sign up and be prepared to, to bring desserts that day. And we will enjoy a period of time together. Uh, in fellowship then, we'll be eating, if the weather is permitting, on the patio areas. We'll be eating in the simulcast area, and if need be, even in the area downstairs. Uh, but it will be a wonderful period of fellowship together. Now, it's probably already been said, but we'll note it again for emphasis sake. There will be no 6 o'clock evening worship here at this facility on September 24th. So be sure and make your plans uh, so that that doesn't... Uh, conflict with any plans that you did have. What are we trying to accomplish at homecoming? We want to look back and be thankful to God and for those that have gone before us that has created the congregation that is here now. For those that have been a part of this congregation for many decades, we want to express our gratitude and thanksgiving for them. We also want it to be a time for all those that have been a part of this congregation, but they are away. We want to give them an opportunity to come back home and to enjoy a visit. The other day I was speaking at a place and a woman told me, she said, my daddy was a deacon there and I grew up there. She said, I have not been back since the new building has been built. And I told her, I said, you're not going to recognize the, the church facility. You're definitely not going to recognize the town of Mount Juliet. You need to come home and visit. We want to give people like that an opportunity to enjoy a day here of catching up on old times, if you will. But also, there's something very important we want to accomplish that day. We want to encourage those that have been unfaithful to their Lord to come home that day. That day, the lessons will be about the benefit that it is for us to come home. The joy that it is to be a part of the Lord's family. Uh, and it will be lessons that would encourage someone that's been away for a good while to encourage them to come home. If you know of someone that's been away, be sure and give them some invitations to be a part of this day. Let them know that we've missed them and that we would love for them to be home. It's sad when you think of how many people have been a part of the life of this congregation over the last hundred years that they're no longer faithful to the Lord. Let's do what we can do to put our best foot forward and let's go out and, and let's be concerned about that one soul as we studied several weeks ago in Luke the 15th chapter. 
Look with me, if you will, to the book of Haggai. And as you're turning to the book of Haggai, that is on page 831 in your pew Bible. It is the third book from the end of the Old Testament. If you're looking for it, it's a small book there, uh, tucked away just before the end of the Old Testament. And as we think about the book of Haggai, we think about what leads us to this time period of study in the Scriptures. You see, what has taken place up to this point is Nebuchadnezzar has come in and he has destroyed Jerusalem. In that, he destroyed the temple. He took some, a remnant, exile back into Babylonia. But during the meantime, the Persians have overtaken Babylonia. And they allow this remnant of individuals to go back and to start rebuilding Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, if you read in Ezra, the second chapter, it's kind of a neat chapter where he talks about each individual family group and he lists how many people are in that family group. And it's a long, long chapter. And when you get over towards the end of the chapter, he says, and the total is that was allowed to go back to Jerusalem, 42,360 individuals. And so these individuals have been back to Jerusalem for a good while now. As a matter of fact, 18 years have passed. And many of them, as you can imagine, have built back their homes. If you went back into an area after leaving it and then coming back and it had been destroyed, you'd build back your home also, wouldn't you? And so apparently they even built nice homes because they're called paneled homes here. And so he's painting a picture of individuals that have built beautiful and nice and comfortable homes. But there was a problem. Over these 18 years, it seems that they just never got around to building God's house back. The temple still was lying in ruins. And so let's read here what Haggai is told by God to tell the people. And we're going to start reading in the second verse, and we'll read 2, 3, 4, and 5. But verse 2 is where the Lord says, this is what the people say. So let's read this, verse 2. Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. But notice what the Lord says in verse 3. The word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses, and this temple to lie in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Some of you will remember that two years ago that we looked at this very same story, this same passage here, as we talked about why it is that we ought to give sacrificially in order for God's work to be done in this place, in this community, for a facility to be built that would be large enough and adequate enough for God's people here. I want to remind you of a few of those points this morning because I think it's so important to our long-term plans. You see, first, when we think about the fact, he says to these individuals that have been apparently so enthused and successful at building their own homes, but yet they apparently had no enthusiasm or no success in building back the Lord's house, he tells them, I want you to consider your ways. I want you this morning to consider with me, and, and I don't mean this as a reprimand or a correction or, or that, hey, we're really off base. I'm simply saying this as a reminder of, hey, this is why we're doing it. We've been a part of this for several years now, and it's just another reminder of this is why we're doing it. Why are we having a special collection next Sunday? A week from today, we'll have a special collection. Why are we doing this? Consider, if you will, your ways. Consider your house. If in your house... You were going to invite guests, but yet you knew when they came, there'd be nowhere to put them. Would that seem like something that you would do? 
What's the difference if we invite guests to the Lord's house? I know that the church is really the house of God, but this is the facility where the house of God meets for this particular congregation. Does it seem right to say to a group of 800 or so, let's go out and let's invite our co-workers, let's invite our neighbors, let's invite our family members, invite them to come be a part of your Bible class, but yet there's really not room for them in a Bible class? Does it seem right to invite them to a worship service, but yet there's really not room in a worship service? You know, if we were doing that in our own house, we'd say, wait a minute, I I can't do that. Or when we think about the dining room, would you have someone over and say, hey, we'd love for you to eat a meal with us, but then when they got there, there was literally nowhere for them to sit. Is it right for a church to invite people to fellowship gatherings and really there's, there's not a room and not a place for them to sit? Or think about the, the driveway or the garages. What would you think if someone said, we'd like for you to come over tomorrow night. Now, if you will, park about three blocks down and um, you'll have to walk to the house. We, we just don't have parking at our house. What about if a church says, we'd like for you to come, but yet there is no parking? What about extra space? You know, today's uh, terminology in, our, in architect, it almost always includes in homes the bonus room. Isn't it nice to have a bonus room? That extra space? You know, when it's an overfill or when there's something to do, you, you always have that bonus room you can go to. What about being a part of a congregation where there's no such thing as a bonus room? There's nothing extra space-wise. What about something as simple as storage and closets where literally there's not enough storage room for the very things that we own? Now... Again, this isn't a complaint. This is just a reminder when people say, why are we doing this next Sunday? Most of us, if we could go down that list of things in our home, most of us would end up saying, if all of these were insufficient, we would say, it's time to do something. You know, I I think back to a few years ago when we were, the five of us were living in about 1,300 square feet, and we were sharing bedrooms, and we were on top of each other, and, you know, we all slept within about 20 feet of each other. You just talked through the walls to each other. And, you know, I I remember as the kids getting older, finally, we kept saying, we've got to do something. We're just literally outgrowing this house. We have to do something. Well, we added on a couple of bedrooms and a bath and an extra room, and wow, what a difference it's made. Now, when we can say to people, hey, We'd love for you to come by. We've got a guest room. We've got room for you. You can, you can stay. You know, the, the point is this. We consider our ways, and if this was our own house that we were talking about, where we literally said there's not enough room for us, there's not enough room to invite guests, there's not enough room to do what we normally do, most of us would reach a point that we would say, that's it. Enough's enough. We have to do something. Well... A few years ago, we began to look at the life of this congregation, and it became very obvious that we were out of parking, that we were out of classroom space, that we were out of room, even in the auditorium. And so it is. We said we need to consider our ways. 
One of the things we did a couple years ago was by the 2040 property. There we was able to uh, allow the Tuesday Thursday school to increase their ministry as they use that. And also in that same facility, we use Sunday morning and Wednesday night, a classroom space over there. It also gave us 70 more parking spaces because at that same time period, we found out that we had 20 more cars in our parking lot each Sunday than we had parking spaces. So going about that expansion was a way to say, we need to consider our ways. It's time to do something. Now we have 70 parking spaces under construction in the rear right now. Now there's a long-term plan that would hopefully prepare us, not just for the next few years, but for the next several generations as we try to acquire a total of 25 acres, creating a campus here large enough for individuals to meet here and to be a part of this congregation for years and years and years. I want you to look with me, if you will, at this chart of, of numbers here. And as you go to this, I hesitate to include this because I don't want you to think that what we're doing here is about numbers. What we're doing here is about souls. And if you'll stop and think about it, you'll realize something. You don't hear numbers talked about from this pulpit. You don't hear our elders getting up and saying, our goal is that we want a thousand members by such and such date. Our goal to be successful is we have to have this. Our goal is not about creating a certain number by a certain day. Our goal is about growing stronger individually and spiritually. Our goal is about reaching out to others. And the more that we can reach out to, the greater good that we can do. Now... As we think about this, I want you to just notice, if you go back to 1988, we had 329 in attendance. What if the church at that time would have said, we're comfortably filling this old, or then it would, what we call the old auditorium. We're comfortably filling this auditorium. We have enough classroom space for this size, so what we want to do is, we don't want to reach out to anyone else. How many of you would not be here if that would have been the mindset of that congregation? You see, most of you would not be here because the majority is new since 1988. So that means many of your close friends that's a part of this congregation, they are your close friends and they are part of this congregation because someone had a vision to say, we need to be able to create space. We need to be able to do more. Now, if you'll notice those numbers in yellow, there's a reason why. Because notice there was hardly any growth there for four years straight. What happened in 92 through 95? What happened is we filled up. We literally were inviting people and there was no place to set them. We're having Bible classes and there were not sufficient enough Bible classes for people to come. That's when we went to two services and then this facility that you're in now was built. Notice what happened immediately after that. There was room available again. And then there was steady growth into 2002. And if you'll notice in 2002, that's when we woke up again and said, wait a minute, what has happened? We found out there wasn't places in the auditorium. We found out that we had more cars than we had parking spaces. And we found out that we didn't have classroom space. That's when we added 90 chairs in here and shortly after went to a simulcast. And then even in the last of last year, we hit a cap where we stopped growing again. And that's when we went to two services and immediately began to grow again. Friends, I'm not saying to you growth is as easy as build it and they will come. But I am showing you by history that we are in a growing community, and whenever our facility caps to its maximum, our growth naturally stops. What does that mean? We talk about going around the world and doing mission work. Friends, if we want to reach the souls that are all around us, we have to be serious about providing a facility that will allow us to reach those souls. Today, 
marks the anniversary, the ninth year anniversary today that we've gathered in this auditorium. It was nine years ago today that we moved into this auditorium. God's blessed us richly with this auditorium. Wouldn't it be wonderful if next Sunday we would be able to collect enough to pay off the indebtedness of this auditorium? It'd be $116,000 and that would remove that indebtedness. That would create... $6,000 a month that we presently are paying that we then can use for the expansion of our future growth. Friends, I hope you realize I'm not trying to make some fancy play and twist on things. It's a reality. What we're talking about is a mission work. It's a mission work of reaching souls right here in our community. If every family could average $300... We could pay this off. There's some families that there's no way they can do that. Trust me, if God understands, we understand. We're not asking anyone to do what God would, would ask, wouldn't ask them to do. And so it is, if, if 20 or 50 is all you can do, we ask you next week to sacrifice, to pray about it, to make your plans and give what you can give. Just as a couple of years ago when we did this, there were other families that instead of the 300, they were able to give 10 and 20 and 30 times that. We'd ask you to do what God would have you to do. Friends, we're not trying to play a guilt trip on anyone. And if it's not the Lord's will for this to happen next week, we don't want it to happen either. Absolutely not. But if we can reach out, if we can reach out to the community about us, we're going to have to have a facility that enable us to do that. Be thinking about what you can do. And this could be just one more step in the greater plan uh, to prepare for the next generation. Look with me, if you will, to Acts, the second chapter. Let's look at some beautiful points about what is the church in just the next few minutes. And I promise you that, just the next few minutes. As you're turning there, I want to remind you, if you haven't yet picked up a bookmark, there's a bookmark about the family of God, 100 key scriptures. Those are the... Scriptures that are listed in your introduction of your book that we've been studying through, it's on Roman numeral 7, and this is the passages on the left side and on the right side, a summary of the passages. Take the challenge, read one of these every day, and then memorize where it's found and what it's about. And at the end of this quarter, you will have almost a hundred passages where you have memorized where it's found and what it's about. Some of you have told me you've been doing that this week, and it's not as easy as it sounds, and it's not. But let's do that, because there's no other book that's greater to study than the Word of God, and there's no other topic that we could be concerned with any more so than to think about God and His church and us being a part of that. And that's what these 100 key scriptures do. But when we think this morning, what is the church? I think about a television show that's out right now, and I hate the show so much, I'm not even going to give it a mention of what the name is. But this family comes in from church, and and the guy's pulling his tie off and his shirt, and he's just throwing them through the house as he comes in. And, and the wife says, honey, honey, you're going to wrinkle your church clothes. And he says, I don't care. This is the best part of the week. And the little girl says, yeah. This is the furthest time from church time until next Sunday. And the mother says, that's a shame. Church shouldn't seem like a chore to you. It should be a blessing in your daily life. And the father says, yeah, it should be, but it's not. What's church to you? Is it a chore? 
Is it something you wish you could get away from? Is it something you dread? You know, for a while now, we've been talking about the church, and you know that the church, it's not the facility. The church, in a very real sense, is not even the assembly. That's what the church does, is they assemble. Church, that's you and I, if we're children of God. The church, that's the people. And so when we say, I dislike the church, we're saying, I dislike myself. I dislike other children of God. What a shame and what a misunderstanding it is. Now tonight, we're going to change from what's on the Sunday bulletin. And and tonight, we're going to go into a deeper study of even what is the church. And we're going to begin back in the Old Testament where the people of God are spoken of and see how that comes all the way through the New Testament. And the truth is, today, we still remain the people of God. But when we think about the word church, the word church is used over a hundred times in the Bible, and it comes from ecclesia, and it's the idea of the called out. Now, I want you to think with me. We're baptized in to, notice that, baptized into Christ. Well, if we are baptized into Christ, what did we leave? We left the world to get into Christ. We read in the scripture reading this morning that was so capably read, we read that when individuals gladly received the word of God and they were baptized, we know that they were baptized into Christ. And notice there it said, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved in Acts 2 and 47. In other words, individuals were being added by God into his church. What or who are the called out? The called out are the individuals that have left the world and they've said, Lord, I want to be saved. I want to be a child of yours. I want to turn my ways. I want to become one of yours. And when we leave the world, that calling out makes us a part of the church. So when we think about the church, we see that definitely the church is made up of people. If you will, go with me to the fifth chapter. The fifth chapter in verse 11. You remember Ananias and Sapphira. And by the way, by just connecting with the things we've been talking about the first part of this morning... You remember the early church, they went through such significant growth that it took tremendous sacrifice on the part of the individuals for this to take place. That's why in the fourth chapter, we see the church growing tremendously and Barnabas sold his property and gave it to the church. And now we come to the fifth chapter. Ananias and Sapphira are selling their property and they're giving the money to the church. Why? Because growing churches require individuals to sacrifice significantly. That's been true since the very beginning. And so what we see here is Ananias and Sapphira lied about the gift. They said that they gave the entire amount and they didn't. And that was the problem here was that they would lie. And so we need to think about how seriously we take lying. Uh, and, and so here the Lord gave death penalty for these individuals. He executed the ones that lied. And notice the result in 11. We're in the fifth chapter in verse 11. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. It's like he's speaking to two groups of individuals here. But notice he says great fear came upon the church. Does that mean the, the building? was afraid? No. The church, that's the people. The people were fearful. But also, even those outside the church, when they heard of this, they also were fearful. When we go to the 8th chapter, we read about the the, uh, persecution of Saul upon the church. Now think about again, is the church the people or is the church the building? In the 8th chapter, we read about this persecution. And in verse 3, he says... As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house. Now notice this, entering every house and dragging off men and women and committing them to prison. So what's the church? Did he go in and wreak havoc upon a church, meaning he vandalized a building? No. 
It's talking about what he did to the people. What did he do to the people? He went into their homes and he drug them out of their homes. Wait a minute. You mean we're the church when we're at home? Absolutely. Friends, we're the church 24-7 if we're God's people. And so when you say, how's the church act in the workplace? You look at a faithful Christian, you'll see how the church acts in the workplace. How's the church so far as neighborly? Look at a faithful Christian, you'll see what kind of neighbors the church are. We can just go through the list of our day-to-day life and activities. That's what the church should be about. Now, when we think about us individually making up the church, you see that these individuals were willing to be thrown into prison. They were willing to sacrifice to be a part of the church. If someone came up to you right now and said, we're going to haul you down to Nashville and throw you in jail unless you say you don't believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you give up your place in the church and we'll let you stay free, what would you do? Saul says, I drug them out of their houses. I threw them in jail. Now you realize if you stay in jail for a while, you're going to lose your job and your family will have to make do. Are you willing to do this for the church? And then Saul says, whenever these court systems would roll around, it'd be more like a monkey trial. He says, I always voted that these individuals be cast to death. Are you willing to do that for the church? Isn't it strange that introductory story we had a few minutes ago where where people hate the church. I just can't wait to get away from the church. And then when we read about the church in the New Testament, we see people that would literally die for her. Where do you and I fall into this? Would we give everything for Christ and His body, the church? Are we more on this end that says, I just counted drudgery to have to even go and be around those people. When we think about the church, there's two ways that the Scripture speaks of the church. And we'll read two Scriptures and close this out. One is that the church is universal. Look back to Matthew, the 16th chapter. You remember Matthew, the 16th chapter, when the Lord said he was going to build his church. Remember in verse 18, and I also say to you, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. What was he saying here? He was saying that everyone that steps out of the world and into him, he's going to add to his church. And so this morning, if someone was baptized into Christ in Ukraine, they're part of the same church that we're part of, or whether it was Greece, or if it was El Salvador, or if it was right here in Mount Juliet. Because the Lord's church, every believer of the Lord that's faithful to Him, is standing on that same foundation. And so if we want to be a part of Christ, we have to be a part of His body, the church. But look with me to 1 Corinthians. This is just one of many examples that we'll mention here. In 1 Corinthians, the first chapter... We read in verse 2, 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 2. Notice what he says. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of our Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. What's he doing here? Paul says, I want to write a letter in this particular letter I'm not addressing it to the whole universal church. He says, this particular letter I'm writing to that congregation of the Lord's people that meet in Corinth. What's the point? When we look at the organization of the Lord's church, each congregation has elders that overseer and deacons that serve and every member is important. You see, the point is this. Just as last week we said that it's impossible to be faithful to Christ unless we're faithful to His body. 
I need to realize this week that it's impossible to say, I want to be a part of the universal church, but I just don't want that commitment to a local body. It just won't work. You see, when we're part of the Lord's universal church, it's made up of individual congregations. And when we're faithful in those individual congregations, we're then faithful through the universal church. And so it is. We have a great responsibility. It's a commitment. It's a family. It's where we belong. It's God's family being God's people. This morning, if you've never been baptized into Christ and had God to add you to His church, universal, we'd encourage you to do that this morning as a believer willing to repent of sins and confess before men. Won't you be baptized for the remission of those sins? Maybe you've been baptized and added to the Lord's universal body, but maybe somewhere along the way you've lost your way and sin has separated you from God. Won't you come back this morning and as we read in James 5 and 16 to confess our faults one to another and pray ye one for another. Let's make sure that we leave here this morning faithful to Christ, the head, faithful to His body, the church, and being members that are committed and that we are responsible and that we maintain that responsibility even in the local church. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand.